Welcome to the Cornerstone Corner, our weekly message podcast. At Cornerstone, we are enthusiastic about all ages, having an authentic relationship with Jesus, others, and our community. Join us as we open the Bible and hear God's word for us today. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. You guys are more awake than 8.30? That's cool. That's cool. My name, like Matt said, I'm, uh, I'm Brian. I get to be the associate pastor here at Cornerstone. And I just want to say I'm so glad that you all are here this morning. I uh, don't know what brought you here, but I'm glad you're here. Um, and today, I want to start off by telling you that just a few weeks ago, uh, for the past few weeks actually, I've had the chance to live out my childhood dream. And no, I did not play quarterback in the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago. And no, Justin Timberlake did not call me and tell me there was going to be an instinct reunion that I was going to be a part of. But um, I dated myself a little bit here. Um, but I had the chance to live out my childhood dream as a sports broadcaster. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, up and through middle school and high school, and even my undergraduate degree in college, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster, to be on ESPN and call basketball, football, baseball games, um, all that stuff. And uh, the past few weeks, I've had the chance to live out that dream. As uh, you see up there, there's uh, pictures on the screen. The, the first game I got to call was back at my alma mater at Penn High School. Got to be on the radio. My brother joined us and my good friend Paul, who runs a, uh, runs a radio station here uh, throughout northern Indiana, uh, had us join him. And then uh, last, just this past week, on Tuesday night, I had the chance to call uh, the Penn versus Mishawaka, one of the most historic rivalry games in all of Indiana. Uh, just five minutes away, the schools are at the historic Mishawaka High School gymnasium called The Cave, which was established, built in 1924, which is Pastor Matt's sophomore year in high school. And uh, ah, he's not even in here to hear that, man. Um, but no, we got to call the, I got to call the game from The Cave, uh, and it was really, really, really cool. Uh, but Tuesday night, uh, get there. Uh, got there before the junior varsity game just to make sure that me and Paul had time to review our notes and kind of talk about what we're going to be talking about throughout the, throughout the game, different players, the rosters, all that stuff. Um, so I get there before the junior varsity game and uh, I walk into the gym and the way Mishawaka's gym, if you could pull the picture back up, please. Uh, I apologize. Um, so if you look at their gym, there's actually two levels to it. And I apologize to the people over here that the whiteboard's blocking you. Um, I have some other notes that that's why the whiteboard's there. But there's two levels to it. So there's a main level, like on the floor, that type of thing. And then there's a second level upstairs. And so I walked in before the junior varsity game on the main level thinking we're going to be on the court, like court side calling the game and the radio station. And so as I walk in, I look and uh, right behind the benches, right behind the scores table, there's a table where the media sits and stuff. And the, the TV crew, there's a TV crew that's going to be there at the game. And there's setting up their stuff, getting all their, their banners up and their microphones set up and whatnot. So I see them. I look next to them, and there's a student radio station that is uh, streaming the game online and, and calling the game radio station as well. And then next to them is another radio station uh, that's sitting there as well. But there's no room at the media table there. So I call my friend Paul, who's running it, who I knew was already there. I said, hey, Paul, like, are we, am I at the right place? Are we, are we sure we're calling this game? And he said, yeah, I'm actually I'm upstairs in what's called the crow's nest. And so you might not be able to see it, but at the very top of the Mishawaka picture, there's a sign that says, welcome to Mishawaka. Uh, that right there is actually a structure that's built above the court where they call it the crow's nest. And that's where we were going to be sitting, this old wooden uh, 
I, I don't, structure, I guess you could call it. We were going to be sitting up there over top the, the court while calling the radio station uh, game. And so I, I walked up the stairs, got up to the crow's nest and sat up there. And for the entire junior varsity game and most of warm-ups for the, for the varsity game, I felt an overwhelming sense of jealousy. As I'm looking down across right on the court, the other radio stations are there, the TV people are there, and I'm just thinking to myself, what are we, chopped liver? Like, we're sitting up at the top, just uh, I'm basically hidden away from everyone, overlooking the court in a, in a view that I had, and the entire junior varsity game, as Paul and I are talking through our notes, throughout all of warm-ups, as we're getting ready with some of the pregame interviews and stuff like that, I am just overwhelmed with a sense of jealousy and envy, and just looking at them and thinking, this is unbelievable. And the reality is, is I was still living out my childhood dream. My voice was still on 91.1, whatever radio station that is, and we were still streaming across uh, online and all this stuff. Like my, I was still getting to live out my dream, but for whatever reason, I was so focused on the other radio stations and the TV and the job that they had that I missed out, that I got to watch this historic rivalry game from a perspective that not many people ever have before. Literally on top of the court, over top of the court, we got to watch this game and call the game. It was actually really cool experience. And it took me a long time to get over my jealousy. And luckily, it was this past Tuesday. So I was already working on this message. So I already, you know, had some different tips and tricks that hopefully we'll get to talk about, about how to overcome that jealousy. But the reality is, is I was feeling so, so jealous. And some of you know, if you've been here the past few weeks, uh, we've been in a series called Get It Out, uh, learning from internally locked up things. And what we're doing is we're looking through the Bible and looking through moments through the scriptures to see where people had different things that were within their hearts, that if they just would have gotten it out, been vulnerable, gotten rid of the things that were locked up in their hearts, that would have caused a lot less destruction than what it actually does. And what we do is we look at these things and, and hopefully learn from them so that we don't fall under the same traps that they fell under. And this week in particular, we are going to be talking about jealousy. And so uh, before we dive into the passage today and talk about jealousy, I'd love to pray um, and then we can continue on. So if you would, please bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. Uh, I thank you so much for giving us this morning to come together uh, I pray that as we sit in this room today, that it is not our ears that are hearing, um, but it's the ears that you give us so that we hear the words that you want us to hear. God, I pray that you give us eyes to see what you want us to see. And God, I pray that you open up our hearts so that we can be transformed and walk out if you're different than when we came in. God, I pray that these words that are spoken into this microphone today are not my own words, but they're your words. And I pray that as we are sitting here in this room, that we are not hearing uh, some guy fumble over his words, but we are hearing the voice of God speak to us in a unique way. God, I pray that uh, whatever baggage we might have brought in here, whatever distractions might be blocking us from stepping into this space with you, uh, with a pure heart, I pray that you remove those distractions. Help us leave it at the door. Maybe we pick it up when we head out, but maybe we just leave it there. God, so that we can step into here and truly hope to be transformed um, as we walk out of here today. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so we're going to be actually diving into the book of Genesis. If you have a paper Bible with you or would like a paper Bible, we have Bibles spread out throughout the auditorium. We also will have verses up on the screen, or if you want to go to sermons.church uh, on your device, you can go to uh, look up Cornerstone Church on sermons.church to find interactive sermon notes as well. But we are going to be in Genesis chapter 37 is where we're going to be picking up today. Genesis chapter 37. And so while you guys are flipping there or getting there, I will kind of set the backstory. This is actually about a family whose dad's name is Jacob. 
Um, God also changed his name to Israel. So Jacob and Israel, the same guy. But Jacob, you might remember, we actually talked about him a few weeks ago as we were talking about when he and his brother Esau were kids and growing up. And their dad, Isaac, and their mom, Rebecca, had favorites. And Rebecca's favorite was Jacob, who we're going to be continuing talking about. And Isaac's favorite was Esau. We kind of talked about that a little bit. This is the continuation of that family line. And so Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, that can be confusing, I apologize, but uh, in, the, in the scripture it talks about them both. Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, uh, has a lot of kids. And he has a, quite a few sons, but his favorite son, his youngest son is Joseph. And as you can imagine, being a, a favorite with a bunch of brothers doesn't make you the most popular in your family. Um, but that's kind of the way it was. And so that's where we're going to be picking up Genesis 37. Um, and we will continue on from there. So Genesis 37, we'll start in verse 3. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had, been given, he had been born to him in his old age. And he had made him an ornate robe for him, a colorful robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out of the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And he told his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well, his, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. His brothers were jealous of him. So that's Kind of leads us to the title of today's message, Joseph's Brothers, Why Not Us? Joseph's Brothers, Why Not Us? We're talking about jealousy. And we're going to continue on with this story, but before we do, I want to recognize a couple of key points here early on. One, Joseph's brothers, if I'm being honest with you, as I read through this, Joseph's brothers had some validity to their jealousy. Could you imagine? I mean, all the brothers and, and this little youngest brother is your father's favorite. There is some validity to their jealousy, not only just because they're brothers and they're favorite, you're not supposed to play favorites as a parent, that type of thing. But in that culture, especially the oldest brother is actually supposed to be the, the powerful one, the leader, the one that's going to take over the family land. But yet for whatever reason, Joseph, the youngest, was the favorite. There was some validity to their jealousy. Also, I mean, they were jealous. Their, their younger brother got this nice, colorful robe. He had these really cool dreams. There was some validity to their jealousy. But what I hope we recognize is just because there was validity to their jealousy doesn't mean it was the right feeling to have. And as we're being honest with ourselves, sometimes some of us, we have some validity to the jealousy that we feel. There's some valid reasons for us to feel jealous. Maybe for you, like you lost a loved one. And if you're being honest, anytime you see someone spending quality time with their dad, it just makes you miss him that much more, and you feel this overwhelming sense of jealousy. Or for you, there's, there's a trauma in your background, and certain things trigger certain reactions and emotions, and honestly, you're jealous of people that haven't gone through the tough road that you've been through. There's some validity to their jealousy. Or maybe for you, you've been working really hard at a job for a very long time, 
and you earned, you think you earned a promotion, you've been working hard, you've been getting the job done, you've been hitting quotas, all this stuff, but for, for the reason this, that, or the other thing, someone comes in and has an MBA next to their name or has a, a nice last name and they get the promotion over you. And there's this sense of jealousy in your heart that's probably pretty valid. But what I want us to recognize is just like Joseph's brothers, just because there's validity to the jealousy that we feel doesn't mean that it's not wrong. Honestly, jealousy, as we continue on with the story, as we're going to see in this story, and as we can probably admit to our own lives, jealousy often distorts our perspective. It ruins relationships. It clouds our judgment and leads us down a path that we wouldn't head down otherwise. So that's the first part. Just because there's validity to their jealousy doesn't mean that it's necessarily the life that God wants for us. The second part is actually throughout the Old Testament, God himself calls himself a jealous God multiple times. I mean, Exodus 20 is an example. Exodus 20 verse 5, I think it is. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And as I was preparing for this message, it would have been really easy for me to just say, hey, jealousy is bad. Don't feel it. All this stuff and not even recognize that God calls himself jealous at times. But as I read through these verses and kind of look back at the, the, the original Hebrew text, there's not a huge difference in the translations, but when you look at the context of what God is talking about when he calls himself a jealous God, and what's the, what Joseph's brothers feel when they're feeling jealousy. When God is talking about being a jealous God, it is not the same as when Joseph's brothers are feeling jealous. In fact, when God is calling himself a jealous God, it is out of concern for others. His jealousy is from a place of concern for others. He doesn't want people to worship earth worldly things because he knows they're just going to end up falling short. He's saying, don't chase after money. Don't chase after power. Don't chase after fame. Don't chase after all these temporary things that when you die, you're just going to be left here on earth. Chase after something eternal. Worship something eternal. Because he knows that if we just chase after these things, we're going to wind up falling short. It's out of concern for us. It's like a teacher. My, my wife's a math teacher. God bless her heart. Um, but when she's up at the whiteboard teaching a class, and she looks out to the class and sees one student in particular just sitting there on their phone the whole time, not taking notes, not getting ready, she might feel, I mean, annoyed and angry and all the different feelings, but she also might feel a sense of jealousy. Not because she wants the attention of this high school student, but because she knows that the next class, when there's an exam and that student does terrible, they're going to feel really, really bad about themselves. She feels a sense of jealousy for them because she's out of concern for them. So when God says he is a jealous God, it's out of concern for us. Where so often when we feel jealous or when Joseph's brothers are talking about feeling jealous, it's not out of concern for others. It's out of comparison. Joseph's brothers are looking at what Joseph has, and then they're looking at what they have. They're comparing the two, and they're getting jealous from that comparison. And so often in our lives, we can find ourselves falling into this comparison trap where we're looking at what others have and then skewing the view of what we have so that we have this jealousy in between us as we're driving through our neighborhood and we look at our neighbor's house and it's just so nice. It's always, the grass is always cut well and all this stuff. And it's just such a big house and we're right there basically in the shadows of them. And it's so easy for us to compare the two houses and find ourselves feeling jealous. Or I know for me personally, when I was working in the corporate world, I would be walking down the hallways at work and just be so jealous of the nice, cushy office that certain people had. Or the nice, I mean, assumed paycheck that they had that I didn't necessarily have. 
It's so easy for us to compare ourselves, and out of that comparison comes jealousy. And so when God says he is a jealous God, it is not the same as when you and I talk about oftentimes being jealous. It is not the same as Joseph's brothers feeling jealous, because God's jealousy is out of concern for others, whereas often our jealousy is out of comparison to others. And ultimately, this Jealousy that's out of comparison skews our view, distorts our perspective, and changes the way that we would act otherwise. And as we continue on with this story, we will see that it leads Joseph's brothers down a path of destruction that they probably wouldn't otherwise be down if it weren't for their comparison and their jealousy. So we're going to pick up back in Genesis 37. Genesis 37, we'll pick up in verse 18. Genesis 37, 18. And at this point... Uh, of the story, what we kind of skipped over was Jacob, or Israel, Joseph's dad, Jacob sending Joseph out to the field to where his brothers were to bring him a snack or something like that. One thing to notice, Joseph's brothers are out in the field working. Joseph's back at home and his dad sends him out, just another validity to their jealousy. Um, is this what we're going to pick up in verse 18? But they, Joseph's brothers, saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him, throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Pause really quickly. Do we see how jealousy is distorting their perspective? Is clouding their judgment? Is leading them down a path of destruction that they wouldn't necessarily be on if it weren't for that? They're so jealous of their brother, of what he has, and they don't, that they're planning to kill him. Now, if we skip ahead to, to verse 25, we see that they have actually decided they're not going to kill their brother. They're just going to throw him into this giant empty hole in the middle of the field where he can't get out and leave him there to die. So verse 25 is where we're going to pick up. As they sat down to eat their meal, first of all, that's just, they just threw their brother into a hole. Then they sit down to eat a meal. Just Man, perspective. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. Pause really quickly and then we'll continue. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery, right? <laughs> he is our brother, right? 28, we'll continue. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Skip ahead to verse 31. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. And they took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn into pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on a sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Do we see how this comparison trap, this jealousy that they're feeling out of this sense of comparison with their brother has led them down a path of destruction? They're so concerned with what Joseph has. They're so caught up in the love that Joseph has, the robe that Joseph has, the dreams that Joseph has, 
that they decide to sell their own brother into slavery. They're so engulfed with this sense of jealousy that they want their father. They, they are doing something that causes their father to mourn for the rest of his days. It's a comparison trap that leads to jealousy, that leads to destruction. And if we're honest, as we're looking at this story, maybe we can't relate on the level of Joseph's brothers necessarily, but we can relate a little bit to the sense of jealousy that they feel that leads us down a path of destruction that leads us to make decisions that we wouldn't necessarily make otherwise. It's what I hope today that we learn from this story, and I hope we have a few takeaways. The first takeaway that I want us to recognize is why they were locked up with jealousy in the first place. Joseph's brothers and often us, we can find ourselves locked up by jealousy by focusing on what others have and focusing on what we lack. We get locked up by jealousy, locked, in je locked up in jealousy, sorry, words are hard, by focusing on what others have and focusing on what we lack. That's your handout, fill in. I'm bad with the fill-ins, I apologize, folks. What others have and then what we lack. We focus on what others have and we focus on what we lack. Thinking back to the story of me uh, getting to live out my childhood dream and call the game at Mishawaka High School, the cave. I was so focused on what the TV crew and the other radio stations had that I let that distort my perspective, the fact that I was still getting to live out my dream of calling the game. And actually, I had a really unique perspective. But I was so focused on what the other people had and what I lacked that it boiled up this sense of jealousy in my heart. Joseph's brothers in, in verse 4, Genesis 37, 4, it says, His brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, and they hated him and could not speak a kind of words. They focused so much on the love that Joseph had from their father and the love that they lacked. They focused on the robe that Joseph had and the robe that they lacked, the dreams that Joseph had, the dreams that they lacked. And granted, again, there might have been some validity to their jealousy, but it locked them up so much that it led them down a path of destruction. And I think so many of us, we get caught up in focusing on what other people have and a skewed perspective on what we have that we find ourselves heading into this comparison trap where we go down this road of jealousy that ultimately leads us to destruction. We focus on what our friend who posts on social media that their family's vacationing every other week and yet their kids are always smiling on the pictures and you can't even get your kid to smile once for a picture. We focus on what they have and what we lack. We see, uh, we see that couple, maybe here in church, whose marriage seems to be flawless, effortless, so deeply in love, and yet you know deep down that you and your spouse, I mean, you guys have to fight Fight in a good way, like you have to fight for your marriage, fight for joy, fight for quality time together. Life is chaotic, and you find yourself being jealous of that effortless love that that other couple has. It's so easy to focus on what other people have and on what we lack, but it ultimately locks us up and leads us into jealousy in a way and leads us down a road to destruction. We focus on what others have, and we focus on what we lack. And the way that we combat this, the way that we fight against this sense of jealousy, because if we're being honest, there's always, we live in a culture of comparison. There's always going to be a sense, a, a pull toward jealousy, a pull toward comparison. 
I was preparing for a sermon on jealousy and on Tuesday night, I was feeling jealous myself. Like there's always gonna be this sense of jealousy. So how do we fight against that? When we feel these feelings of jealousy, how do we fight against that? And I think the answer to that is we have to flip the script here. We have to focus on what we have and focus on what others lack. We have to focus on what we have and focus on what others lack. And you might be thinking to yourself, Ryan, okay, you're telling me I need to focus or remember that my boss, who's making three times the salary that I make, who works half the hours that I work, who drives a car that is twice as nice as mine, I have to focus on what he lacks. Or, Ryan, you're telling me I have to focus my friend who's always traveling to Europe and to, to Mexico and to the beach and to the mountains, I have to focus on what they lack? Or the person on social media that's always posting so many great trips, so many great family memories, so many great, I have to focus on what they lack. They get like thousands of likes every time they post. To focus on what they lack. And what I'm saying is, listen, um, again, there's validity to our jealousy. But can I tell you, it's really hard to be jealous of someone when you remember the areas in which they lack. It's really hard to to be jealous of someone when we focus on the areas that they might not have what we have. We think of the, our boss who, who's working this crazy. We don't think about the, necessarily the pressures that they feel, the hours that they have to put in, the name that they have to live up to. When we focus on the areas that they lack, it makes it easier for us to not to feel jealous. A word comes to mind when I think of focusing on what others lack. It's not necessarily focusing on what others lack, but I was trying to, you know, wordplay. Um, empathy. And this isn't in your notes, but if you want to write that in, you want to fight against jealousy, have empathy towards others. Even, in, even if they're living the, the, the greatest life and all these great things, just have empathy to recognize that it's, they are lacking in some areas. It's hard to be jealous of someone when you focus on what they're lacking. And can I tell you something else? It's hard to be jealous of someone when you pray for them, when you're praying that, that God continues to bless them, that God helps certain areas of their life. It's really hard to be jealous of someone when you pray for them. Now, you could pray sarcastically, but hopefully God will convict you on that. But it's hard to be jealous of someone when you pray for them. They don't have to know about it either. And then if we focus on what we have, the reality is is that each and every one of you is equipped with a unique set of skills and gifts, whether that you've acquired through the years or they're gifts that God has given you. And when we find ourselves in this comparison trap, this sense of jealousy, it can be so easy to ignore all of those things that we have been given. But the reality is, as you've all been given, if we focus on the things that we have with a sense of, the word that I want to talk here is gratitude. I'm just going to put grat because spelling is hard in front of a bunch of people. (laughs) Gratitude. It's really hard to be caught up in a sense of jealousy with a skewed view of ourselves when we are grateful for the things that we have. When we wake up each and every morning and thank God for the things that we have. It's hard to compare ourselves to others when we have a sense of empathy towards them and we have a sense of gratitude toward God about what we do have. One of the best examples of this lived out, focusing on what we have and focusing on what others lack, the sense of gratitude and empathy is actually, if we continue on with this story, Joseph, remember, sold into slavery by his own brothers. First, thrown into a well that's empty, then sold into slavery, and then those people sold him again into a different slavery. 
So he's all over the place. It could have been really easy for Joseph to be locked up in jealousy, focusing on what his brothers still had, focusing on the freedom that he lacked as he's sitting in a, in a caravan being just sold into slavery, or as he's working the fields for this guy that he doesn't know, but he's his slave now. And in fact, continuing on with Joseph's story, he actually ends up in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. And as Joseph's sitting in prison, it could be very easy for him to be in this comparison trap, focusing on the freedom that other people had, focusing on the life that his brothers still have, and, and focusing on the life that he didn't have. The robe that he no longer had. The father's love that he no longer was able to receive. As he's sitting in prison with no freedom, a slave put in prison, it could have been very easy for Joseph to be jealous. There would have been a lot of validity to his jealousy. But as we continue on with Joseph's story, he did such a good job of focusing on the things that he did have and then focusing on what others lacked. And as he's sitting in prison, one of the things that he had with all of his freedoms ripped away, all the land and the hope that he had as he was living at home ripped away, one of the things that he had was a gift from God, the ability to interpret dreams. And as he's sitting in prison, there were two prisoners, and the one thing that they lacked was the ability to interpret the dreams that they were having. These two guys couldn't figure out what, 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 was try, what message was trying to be sent to them as they were having these dreams over and over again, and they couldn't figure out what they meant. So Joseph, not locked up by jealousy or comparison, focusing on what he had and what others lacked, interpreted those two guys' dreams. And one of the guy. The dream, the interpretation was that he was going to become the chief cupbearer of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all of Egypt. One of the most powerful men in, in, in all the earth. Sorry, man, words are hard. This guy is going to be the chief cupbearer. And so as he's leaving prison, freed from prison to go be a very loud voice in Pharaoh's ear, Joseph says, hey, man, don't forget about me. Tell Pharaoh my story. I'm not even from this land. I was sold into slavery by my brothers, thrown into prison for a crime I didn't commit. Don't forget about me. But what ends up happening? The cupbearer goes and forgets about Joseph. And two years go by. How hard it would be not to be locked up by jealousy, locked up in comparison to this cupbearer that you helped interpret this dream, and yet he forgets about you? It would have been, Joseph would have had every reason in the book to be jealous, to be locked up in comparison. Two years go by. And as two years go by, Pharaoh, most powerful man, Pharaoh starts having dreams and he can't figure out what they mean. And he brings in different magicians and wise men to come in to try to figure out what these dreams mean and none of them can figure it out. But what happens, the cupbearer, who's a very loud voice in Pharaoh's ear, remembers as all these magicians and wise men come and can't figure out what the dreams mean. Two years later, he remembers, hey, oh, there's a guy that interpreted my dream in prison. Uh, and he remembered it, like he, he interpreted it to a T, like it was perfect. So Pharaoh calls to Joseph, asks them to interpret the dream, and Joseph, focusing on what he has, focusing on what Pharaoh lacks, is able to interpret this dream perfectly. He tells them that your dream means that there's going to be seven years of plenty, plenty of food, plenty of crops, all that stuff, but right after that, there's going to be seven years of famine. So if you don't prepare properly, we're going to see really, really bad times here in Egypt. And because he was able to interpret these dreams, they were able to ration off their food for these seven years of plenty so that they would have plenty of food for the seven years of famine. Because he's able to interpret these dreams, Joseph, is actually becomes, Joseph actually becomes the second most powerful guy in all of Egypt. He's Pharaoh's right-hand man, ruling over all of Egypt. 
Joseph, because he's not caught up in comparison, because he's not locked up by jealousy, because he's focusing on the opportunities in front of him and focusing on areas where he can serve other people, he finds himself in a position that he never would have been in if he was still living in his father's house. Beyond his understanding. What I don't want us to take away from this story is if we don't get caught up in jealousy, if we stop focusing on what others have and on what we lack, and we start focusing on what we have and what others lack, then we're going to find success in all of our endeavors. If you don't get caught up in jealousy, that does not mean that you are going to become the second most powerful person in the state of Indiana. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get that promotion that you think you deserve. It doesn't mean that your kids are going to start smiling for your pictures when you post them on Facebook. That's not the message I want us to take away from this. What I want us to take away is actually what happens next in Joseph's story. As he's the second most powerful guy in all of Egypt. Just out of prison, now he's the second most powerful guy in all of Egypt. Overseeing the food distribution as there's famine that has hit the land. And as he's overseeing the food distribution, guess who comes to get food because they are in a famine? His brothers, the very brothers that sold him into slavery. And if Joseph had been locked up by jealousy in comparison, he would have sent them packing. He might have sold them into slavery. He might have thrown them into prison. But instead, because he's not locked up by jealousy, because he wasn't focusing on what they had for all those years when he lacked, he had the peace and assurance enough to know that he could bring them, give them food. He could be reunited with his dad. And in fact, he brought his entire family from the land that they were on to the, one of the nicest plots of land in all of Egypt called Goshen, not Goshen, Indiana. But. And he's able to not only be the second most powerful guy in all of Egypt, but he's able to reunite with his family. And if he had been locked up by jealousy and comparison for all those years, I find it hard to believe that he would be able to have the peace and assurance to make that decision. That's the takeaway I want us to have. You want to start living with a sense of peace that's beyond our understanding? You want to start living with a sense of assurance that leads us to love people unconditionally? You want to start living the life that God has called us to live? We need to start focusing on what we have and focusing on what others lack. And worship team, wherever you guys are, you guys can start making your way forward as we begin to wrap up. The reality is, is that jealousy is something that can plague each and every one of us. It can lead us down a path of destruction like Joseph's brothers. It can lead us down a path of destruction like probably so many of us have been down before. But my hope is that as we walk out of here today, that we will have a sense of peace and assurance that is beyond our own understanding so that we can step into the life and the love that God has called us to live. So we can make decisions like Joseph made to love people unconditionally, even when it doesn't make sense. So that when we're locked up in our own sort of prison, whether that's a job or whether that's loneliness or whether that's whatever that is, when we're locked up in our own sense of prison, we aren't focusing on the life that we could have had. We aren't focusing on the life that other people have, but we're focusing on the opportunities that are in front of us and we're making the most of them. We're not making the most of them just for our own glory, but we're making the most of them so that we can serve others because other people lack as well. My hope is that as we walk out of here today, we won't feel a sense of jealousy in our heart. We'll feel a sense of freedom. We'll feel unlocked from this comparison trap that our culture is trying to put us into and able to walk with confidence knowing that we are uniquely gifted and wired for a specific purpose that God has given. Well, we pray that you enjoyed the message today. 
We pray that it was challenging and that the Spirit has stirred something new in you today. Have a blessed week.